Welcome to Thesis, a podcast about trends in higher education systems and international spheres, exploring the field of higher education across the world. I'm your host, Kelly Davis. Today's episode features a conversation about the development of Uzbekistan's higher education system since a change in government in 2016, looking at the parallel trends of internationalization and democratization seen through the government's response to student protests that occurred online in the summer of 2020. Our guest and expert on these issues is Dilnoza Ubaidilaiva, who is originally from Uzbekistan and is currently a PhD candidate, sessional academic, and a learning advisor at the Australian National University. Dilnoza is also a fellow of UK Higher Education Academy. Previously, Dilnoza has worked as a lecturer in Uzbekistan's higher education system. Her research focuses on internationalization in Uzbek higher education, as well as relationships between education, civil society, and democratization, topics which we'll discuss today in the context of the question of how higher education impacts democratization and vice versa. She is originally from Uzbekistan, where she achieved a master's in English linguistics from Uzbekistan State World Languages University, and later completed her second master's in international studies at the University of Shuba in Japan. Dinoza, your work has focused on higher education in Uzbekistan in terms of internationalization and the democratization of the higher education system. What led you to this research? Well, thank you very much, Kelly, for inviting me, first of all, to this uh, podcast. So um, I have a very interesting background. I used to be a teacher and then a lecturer of English as a foreign language. I also happened to work in the UN system in Tashkent, UNICEF country office in Uzbekistan. And while teaching my students as a lecturer and also interacting with the colleagues in the UN system who came from all over the world, I started thinking about how the international education looks like in different countries. So to tell that I, at that time I had bachelor's degree and master's degree from the Uzbek University in Uzbekistan. And when sharing my stories about teaching and curriculum and governance in Uzbekistan with my colleagues, I heard how things look like in the different countries, whether it's the Western countries or other countries where my UNICEF colleagues um, came from. And I started getting really interested in how international education may look like. So uh, just for the context, I should tell that those years, Uzbekistan was very close society and it still had kept the Soviet legacy, Soviet higher education system. Of course, I, from the perspective of ideology, it was very different, but in terms of governance structure, education system remained as it was before. So hence, I got very interested in um, learning about the international education, what the universities are run, how in different parts of the world. That actually took me to Japan to do my master's degree in international relations. And that was the first time I was exposed to what the international education may look like. Ever since then, I worked for many years in Australian tertiary education sector, where I was able to see how education is very, very different from the way it was before in my um, in my undergraduate years in Uzbekistan. And hence, I was really interested to share my experience to search, research this area and share my findings with colleagues, both in academia and general community. Because as you know, or you may not know that Uzbekistan was a very close society until late 2016. And there was not, even now, when you look for literature, very little information, scholarly um, sources available on the university education system or politics of higher education in general in Uzbekistan. 
yeah, right. these are the things that made me uh, very be interested in researching this area, which I'm passionately doing now. And we'll be able to touch on some of those internationalization components later on in the conversation. But today we're mostly talking about the online student protests, which took place during the summer of 2020. These were kind of the early days of COVID-19, if you will. So let's first set up that context. Can you share the recent developments of Uzbekistan's higher education system? So kind of thinking in that post-Soviet era, uh, and that includes internationalization, the other primary, the primary focus of your work. Yeah, very good question. So um, Uzbekistan's higher education system remained uh, quite closed for international engagement up until late 2016. Uh, the same scenario applied to all other sectors um, in the in the government until to late 2016. Um, in Uzbekistan, internationalization or cooperation with international organizations or institutions was very restricted and controlled. It was only those particular countries that were perceived to be friendly or safe to the then government were allowed to have branches in the country or have any sort of international research or educational partnerships. Well, the scenario has significantly changed after the late 2016. So when the leadership, when the new leadership came to power, Uzbekistan has opened up itself through along with its economy and other fields, its education system has been open to international cooperation. Um, that includes internationalization being now welcomed in Uzbek universities. It's very interesting though now before, that's my research, um, my PhD research is about how university education was, internationalization of university education was perceived as a threat, especially internationalization with Western countries primarily the United States or other Western world um, members. So we what we see now is quite, um, if that was extreme, one extreme end of the spectrum, where if you want to invite a foreign foreign native speaker to your class, just to give your students exposure to English language or to share their culture or education, you had to go through significant steps of seeking permission from relevant international offices. And it has never been guaranteed that you would be given a permission to do so. In the event, even if you got permission for a native speaker to come to campus, you probably would have someone sitting in the class making sure that foreigner is talking um, safe subjects to students and not promoting anything. And what we see now is, of course, a great change in terms of opening up to international world. However, I can talk more about it in your other questions into details, but we see the others at the end of the spectrum now where internationalization is turning into more commercialization rather than opening up a university for a viewer research and international cooperation purposes. So I think that there's going to be a lot of differences in that kind of the, the post-opening system, uh, post-2016 in Uzbekistan too what people might experience in other parts of the world, thinking primarily um, the more quote-unquote Western world, so to speak. And one of those that relates very closely to freedom of expression. So you focused in one of your articles on how these online protests from students demonstrate the democratization process of higher education in Uzbekistan, particularly through the government's response to those protests, which we'll talk about. But let's first quickly define what we mean by freedom of expression. 
Excellent question. So maybe I missed in answering your earlier question about the context to this uh, student protest. So after the change of leadership in 2016, uh, when the different sectors were kind of given a green light to be more open, to express their views, that has been reflected in the higher education sector as well. University lecturers started talking about the problems in the sector. Um, rectors started talking and sharing views on state-controlled media as well. And But with this particular case with COVID-19-related lockdown has contributed um, to significant change in the freedom of expression among students, particularly. That is That was a particular focus of my article. And you can find similar case among university lecturers as well, but I did not focus on that um, particular topic. So students, as in the case of in more uh, collectivist cultures in Asia, in Central Asia, uh, tend to usually observe and listen to what lecturers say or their seniors say in the university context. That was became especially quite controlled for more than two decades of authoritarian government, where the only ideology that was promoted was the ideology of independence, which was basically about using the higher education um, as a nation building tool. But with COVID-19 lockdown, students had to suddenly move to online learning. And online learning was something that was not practiced in Uzbekistan's higher education system before. Surprisingly, after almost three years of now um, lockdown-related measures, transition to online learning or the so-called online medium of instruction has now just recently been officially allowed as a medium of learning in higher education system. So when I say freedom of expression, of course, there's so many scholarly works that define what is freedom of expression. But probably in this particular uh, research, I meant the students' ability to express their views, whether they agree or disagree on the matters to do with their higher education, whether it's in person or using peaceful protests. And I need to mention that there is a lot of research on how students protested um, on different things to do with politics, but my research primarily looked on students' expression of their views on the higher education or on the um, on the matters that clearly related to their higher education experience in the university. Right. So they were essentially speaking out against some of the practices of the system that they were in and most and experiencing in that moment. Oh, yes. So um, students, it started with the sudden transition to online learning and online learning in Uzbekistan, as I described in that particular article, um, was not actually online learning that you see in um, many countries now, Any, 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 if you look at any context. So universities had to suddenly do something with students as universities were shut. I think it was in March, mid-March in 2020. Some of them started learning social media channels like Telegram. They just sent the PDF documents and students were asked to read and just tell the summary or submit the summaries. Others did it through YouTube, others did it through TV channels. As you can see, universities did not have infrastructure and the skilled staff in place to suddenly transition to this online learning. And in that in that respect, students had to struggle understanding what kind of education they're getting and their quality, that already derailed quality of higher education system has significantly suffered. And students using um, social media channels started sharing their views about their discontent on the quality of education they're getting and the money they're paying for that um, for that quality of education. And what happened was that in Uzbekistan, academic year starts in September. So closer to August, it became clear from authorities that the universities will continue to offer online learning 
for for what a period of time due to again COVID restrictions. And students had to think: We are we paying this amount of money for this quality of education we're getting? And they were sharing their views in social media channels, and thousands of students joined this um, so-called student movements in the online platforms using the social media channel Telegram. And that's how they started expressing their discontent that the fees for tuition had to be lowered for them to accept this level of um, this quality of education, which is online. Their argument was that universities do not spend as much money to deliver this education. They do not actually use any facilities. They do not actually have that experience being face-to-face. And hence, um, they demand that the tuition fees have to be lowered. So um, that was a quite significant demand. Um, usually, students would not dare to do that. But probably, as I argue in that article, transition to online learning, transition to using the online media as a way to to express yourself um, allowed students to express their views. Thousands of students joined those movements. Initially, their groups were uh, closed. I, I hear from, again, I refer to those um, quotes and shared in the social media groups. And then um, once it became so active through, throughout the Republic, students were joining this Telegram channel, the government authorities had to consider that. In fact, they made a statement, as I write in that article, that the fees will not change this year. Initially, that's what they said. Ideally, every year, the tuition fees get increased for a certain percentage. And that was the initial response from the government, but students um, were not satisfied with this response. Their demand was that it had to be lowered by 50%. So in the end, with um, seeing the demand, seeing the rise of students in different media, of course, it's all social media. We're not talking about the media as the media is still state controlled or regulated in Uzbekistan. So hence, students were finally able to get what they wanted. The authorities allowed to reduce the tuition fees by 10% although not 50%, and that was celebrated as a big achievement among all students who participated in those online um, peaceful protests. I'm curious if you can, it doesn't have to be a long explanation, but the site that they were using, Telegram, that's something that I think people outside of Uzbekistan will be not as familiar with. What does this platform allow for? What does it kind of look like in essence? I think it's just another social media, Telegram. It's widely used in um, Central Asian states uh, in general and in Uzbekistan as well. So it's like a WhatsApp. I don't know. It's probably very familiar WhatsApp um, channel or platform. So it's basically they create groups and any groups can, any individuals can join the group, share um, their comments. And yeah, that's that's the, basically the way we look. And I have to mention that Telegram channels are so popular in, in Uzbekistan that every agency or government agency, whether it's a government or public sector, would have their Telegram channel through which they promote their work. Um, For example, the Ministry of Higher Education in Uzbekistan has its own Telegram channel. That's where they put every daily news. And that Telegram channel was used in Uzbekistan during the COVID times as well to communicate on a daily basis the updates, um, what are the things to follow in the higher education system, and what will be the changes moving on. So that was the main um, medium of communication to students and to general public where they conveyed their news. So how did the government, when they did decide to first not increase tuition and then they actually met the students' demands and, or to an extent at least, and lowered the tuition 10%, how did they communicate that to the students? Did they use Telegram or other methods? It's a very good question. In fact, they did not officially 
acknowledge that there was a online student uh, protests. Um, it's just the way it was that we considered the concerns of students and that many people lost their jobs and still people have no jobs because of the lockdown. For those reasons that were quite common in all countries due to COVID restrictions and lockdown restrictions, the government came to conclusion, the authorities of higher education ministry came to a conclusion to reduce tuition fees. In fact, the um, the demands of the so-called the student movement online channel and Telegram were not actually acknowledged. But what was the different was that the current research that I'm working on, although we say that in because of COVID, authoritarianism in general seems to be um, more widespread now, even in democracies, because of COVID, uh, governments were able to make people do certain things because of lockdown or other things. So there is a rise of authoritarianism in general. But I believe that on the other side, in some countries, especially in non-democratic or more authoritarian countries, COVID gave opportunity uh, for many uh, for many sectors to open up, to make, to express themselves. And in this case, Uzbekistan's higher education system was among one of them. If before students did not have that courage to share their views, to critically approach any decision by the government, it's during COVID lockdown where they had to engage with their lecturers, with their classmates through online medium of instruction, where they were able to express their views. And once few students did, few hundreds did, then thousands were able to join. The problem became so widespread that I heard from, we, we heard from the news that some universities instructed lecturers to tell students not to join, not to be a member of those um, online channels and demanding the tuition fee being lowered. But yeah, as you can see, the government in the end responded to students' demand, although not really directly to them but really still uh, making sure the tuition fees were uh, lowered by 10%. Of course, it wasn't 50% um, reduction, but still it was widely celebrated among students. And I have um, I, ga I gave those quotes from students in my article where they celebrated. You can see what difference expressing yourself can make. We should not be scared um, anymore. That was the main theme in the celebration of the students after the, this announcement has been made by the government. Sure. Yeah, the, absolutely. The, the, any win in a sense, I mean, that is a big win 10%, at least from, from my standpoint and my background, that's huge to actually have the government acknowledge that that's a necessity and, and to implement that state, you know, uh, nationwide. But what was also in the context of what we're talking about in terms of freedom of expression, what was the significance of the government's response? So in general, um, students in post-Soviet Uzbekistan were seen as activists, as those, I quote, layers of population, unquote, um, from, there was a quote from the former minister of public education in Uzbekistan, who would be willing to uh, protest on anything that they did not find it satisfying with the government or their education system. So in early 90s, there was a student protest in Uzbekistan. I write about it in my article as well, which was, uh, which is not necessarily the focus of my research, but just to give you a context that ever since that protest, which was then forced, uh, which was stopped by force by the, the then government authorities, students were looked at as a very, as a items or tools that can be used by other sources to bring instability to the country. For that reason, I have another article on that. 
increasing tertiary education numbers, including increasing access to higher education was highly securitized in Uzbekistan. In other words, expanding the higher education system, giving access to everyone was seen as existential threat because students, once they get educated, they become aware of the, the potential political system in the country, which was not necessarily democratic and they may tend to protest. I need to give a here context that in Uzbekistan, historically, for more than now three decades, initially only 10% of everyone who finished high school was able to access high education. And now it has, the number has reached over 20% now. It's something that's hard to imagine for, for anyone who studies and lives abroad in the Western world, because anyone who probably has funds can get into high education system. And of course, they have, they need to meet certain entrance requirements. But in Uzbekistan, quarters, the so-called places to get into a higher education were decided by the government and they were given strict numbers. Every year, the government announces how many students would be, student places would be created in public higher education institutions. This is slightly changing now. The government has since now opened up to international education, international providers. There are many branch campuses of different universities. There are so many private universities now that do not necessarily look at that quota system, but there's a strong interest among people to go to public state universities rather than going to branch campuses for a wide a range of reasons. I'm curious to know if you actually see any links between the internationalization that has been at last more permitted in Uzbekistan and, and is growing and these student protests that occurred online. Yeah. Well, in fact, globalization in general and the rise of internet um, and the availability of social media platforms now in everyone's hands um, has given opportunity for many people, including young people, students, to see what is the, what's happening in the world, especially among students, how the education system looks like in America or in Japan or in Australia. And before, if they were able to get it through TV or other state-controlled media channels, or there was a limited internet availability due to access to internet and price probably to pay for that, um, now students can easily access and be aware of what's happening and how education system looks like or should look like actually for the money they're paying. And hence, I think with globalized world, students can easily see the issues that can be clearly spotted in their university system, in the governance, in the teacher's approach or the curriculum, or in general, the nature of higher education system. So I think there is a relevance with internationalization, opening opportunities for students to see globalization and the rise of internet, to see and be aware of the experiences students get in other parts of the world, but also more so in the case of Uzbekistan, it was to do with the uh, changes after the 2016 change of government. And that's where the things started being more celebrated in terms of talking about problems um, before it, it wasn't the case. Students, journalists or bloggers, the so-called opinion formers in Uzbekistan were not allowed due to strong censorship to talk about problems, especially to, to do with the government policies, whether it's higher education, economy, health system. But now in Uzbekistan, higher education system is the first thing on the agenda because the issues are still there. If on one hand, Uzbekistan has opened up its education system for international engagement and is willing to have joint programs. What we don't see clearly is that strategic strategic approach to internationalization. It seems to be quite random. 
all right, do you want to open a branch campus in Uzbekistan? You can do so, but not necessarily looking at who is coming to open a branch campus. What's the level of that university? Looking at the, as we say in internationalization, the branding, right? The research background or the name of that particular university. More so, people are opening up public, uh, private universities. We, I'm not sure if there is a strong quality assurance standard agency that can oversee the quality of education offered in those private universities. And this is what we see in internationalization. In some countries where internationalization is quite widespread or higher education is more is more has become more to do with commercialization of education, we see a huge number of universities, so-called universities, that may not necessarily offer the quality university education, but they are still there. And we my my research, current research, is about how Uzbekistan, starting from securitizing higher education, seeing international engagement as a threat, has moved to the stage of opening up. But now the concern could be that it is more to do with commercialization of higher education rather than looking at strategic plan on how to utilize internationalization. And in this regard, if we securitized it, now we have desecuritized it. It's no longer a threat to go to international engagement. But how do we use it? How do we ensure that internationalization is still there with the quality assurance um, in place as well? I'm thinking that while, yes, there's this concern that it's more of a commercialization and drive do you think that the sign that there that these student protests were actually responded to in, in a more positive way, is that maybe a signal that even though commercialization might be driving internationalization, maybe there is an element of more acceptance of, okay, we are moving more in a democratic direction now? In general, any um, was what we see now in Uzbekistan's higher education policy, when there is any concern expressed in social media, nowadays it's we see first in social media and then that's widespread and then journalists comment on that and the government authorities had to, in this case, they have to comment on that because it becomes quite uh, widely a circulated issue. If before, if it was to do with a certain group of people, now one a particular issue is um, discussed in social media. All, all, everyone throughout the country can comment on that. And before it becomes a huge issue, nowadays government authorities tend to comment on that. In this regard, the the response of higher education ministry to student demands, to me, first of all, celebrates that there is an early sign of emergence of freedom of expression among students. This is an important thing, which was not there before. There are still a number of issues that students experience in the higher education system. It's not to do with particular students, it's to do with the system, how the system is run. And nowadays, higher education authorities do talk a lot about the need for reform. And that's great. They are open to address the challenges and to address the concerns by students. And that's a good achievement. That's a good step. However, there are many things to consider as well, which is strategically, what is the plan? How do we transition from the previously run fully straight controlled higher education system into a more open liberal higher education system with the international component being there as well. So in general, yes, celebrating this achievement was a big thing for students in Uzbekistan. And also for those, I would say, in Uzbekistan bloggers who mostly are the ones that bring the issue to the public using social media. And that also indicated that 
when, when, when problems are brought to the attention of certain government agencies, they are looked at, which encourages young students, uh, those in the higher education sector, to continue expressing their views with a clear argumentation. Right. That's it's so it's so interesting. That's the kind of the dynamic or the difference between like the the student experience and and in that context and what they are expecting and what the authorities really have to kind of get their mind and strategy around. I'm curious to know now that it's been two years since these protests happened. Have there been any further developments since you conducted the research? So higher education is rapidly changing in Uzbekistan, as for example, one example could be this year, online medium of instruction was officially allowed as a medium of instruction in university education. It may sound something quite strange for many people who who, who are probably much used to uh, seeing university education offering definitely online courses, but that wasn't the case in Uzbekistan. So in, among the changes could be now lecturers, university lecturers, academics, if previously they were strongly discouraged from engaging or reaching out to the partners on other universities to to do potential research or to start some sort of student exchange or staff exchange programs now they're widely encouraged to do so in fact they are they are encouraged to such an extent that if you have some sort of engagement with international institutions they have incentive for better salary or promotion in their workplace so it has become now one of the requirements for them to open and to be open for international engagements to to learn in this regard now they're learning what is the steps actually to get to know uh, find other scholars in other different universities it's something very new how do you email them how you find them what are the things you can suggest if before they did not have that independence that authority to suggest to provide initiative for international engagement now they are strongly encouraged to do so this is one big shift another thing is that i believe university students now have the opportunity to attend a wide range of forums or uh, workshops available by different agencies that are operating in Uzbekistan now. Uh, for example, up until 2016, I think uh, many US-based educational institutions, NGOs, um, did, were not allowed to operate in Uzbekistan. Those were the ones who opened up libraries, offered English language classes, opened debate clubs. Now they're back in Uzbekistan. One of them is, for example, American Councils for International Education. They do offer a wide range of courses and exchange opportunities for students, whether it's to do with entrepreneurship or girls' education. And that promotes the students' awareness of how education may look like in different parts of the world. And they bring different ideas back to their home institution and they share it with other students that, again, further encourages others as well to be open and to try opportunities offered to them. So I would say Uzbekistan's higher education system is going through still um, significant changes. But again, there's a lot to look at from the perspective of internationalization. Where do we have to? Which way are we looking at internationalization? Are we opening up to anyone who opens or wants to open a branch campus in the country? Or are we actually looking at quality assurance systems as well? So I think there should be a, a strong element emphasis on quality assurance so that private providers or international providers are there to meet those minimum requirements that are, that is controlled by the independent uh, quality assurance agency, not necessarily government. But the idea here is to ensure students get quality university experience. 
I think that this has been a really interesting conversation that has talked about, it kind of reminded me both in terms of how national strategy is very important when it comes to higher education, anything related. Internationalization, as you say, needs to have some sort of strategy behind it. And it's also a reminder, this conversation about the student protests and and the development of higher education in Uzbekistan uh, over the last 20 years or so, it's kind of a reminder that education does allow us power, a certain amount of power. Um, And I think that that's something we almost take for granted in other places in the world. So that it's been really interesting to have that conversation around the students and and what, what it has meant for them to actually make demands and have them be met. I want to wrap us up here with a final question, which is kind of a personal link of your own to higher education. It's something that we are asking all of our guests. Who was someone particularly influential in your own higher education journey or in the development of your professional research? Yeah, well, thank you so much for this question. Um, I have thought a lot about it, probably more than individual. To me, it was the experiences I have had throughout my personal education and work. So in my 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 first undergraduate degree in Uzbekistan was at the Uzbekistan State World Languages University. Uh, but the program that I studied within this university was American program called Institute for English Language Teacher Education. So all the curriculum textbooks we had were um, provided as per the U.S. standards. But when I graduated from the university, I received a standard diploma of the Uzbekistan University. Initially, I didn't mind. There were some students who said, but we studied an American program. Our, our courses were quite different. But later on, when I came to Japan, did my master's uh, research on another component of education and then being exposed to tertiary system in Australia, I could see the reason to do with that element to the politics of university education was the area that all the issue uh, was related to. So since then, I started researching the area of politics of higher education. As as you can see, as I said earlier, Uzbekistan's higher education system was not quietly, uh, quite well researched because the country was not available, was not open and accessible for scholars to do research. This was one thing to share with academic colleagues, but also to general audience, what the higher education system looked like in Uzbekistan. And now that I have seen and worked in the Western tertiary education system, I could clearly see what we lacked in Uzbekistan. And hence, all the life experiences I have had um, made me um, be interested in this subject. And I am still quite passionate to research the nexus of politics of university education and the security, which is the usually of a very important element in authoritarian states. So um, I wouldn't say there's an individual, but a life experiences, my own educational experiences and le- work experience as a lecturer, UN staff member, and later on um, staff in the Australian tertiary education sector encouraged me to take this research. Danaza, thank you so much for sharing more about your research and your expertise in higher education in Uzbekistan with us today. Uh, It has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. In our next episode, we will be discussing student protests and the impact of state repression on Nicaragua's higher education system. Did you know that in 1944, a small group of university graduates started the beginnings of what would become the Independent Liberal Party? This party later led a campaign against then-president Anastasio Somoza. 
The Somozas were a family dictatorship that ruled Nicaragua for over 40 years, starting with Anastasio Somoza, who became president in 1936. The duration of this first round of student-led protests in the late spring, early summer of 1944 is an earlier example of student protests against dictators in Nicaragua. Today's thesis episode does not take position on the issues discussed on the podcast. Opinions expressed on this episode are solely those of the guests or hosts. If you liked what you listened to today, please follow the podcast and feel free to leave us a rating or a comment. This podcast is produced and edited by Katarina Korinska, Ayla Rubinstein, Tracy Waldman, Kelly Davis, and Maria Angeles Hidalgo. Original music is produced by Petter Strom. Thanks for listening to Thesis. We'll talk to you next time.